Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Um, good morning, everybody. In fact, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Louise Greenwood and I am Director of Education and Training at Wessex LMCs. And I'm really pleased today to be joined by Michelle Lombardi, one of our Directors of Primary Care, and Dawn Chowcraft, our Deputy Director of Primary Care, and Marie Dockniak, who's going to talk to us about DBS. So welcome, all of you. We're recording this session as we normally do, so it can be as an audio podcast and to be listened to whenever it's convenient for you. We've also got some slides at the end of the webinar today to share with you, so it'll also be available as a recorded webinar for those of you who want to watch it later. So I'm just going to pass straight over to um, Marie, who's going to update us on our new DBS. We've had a new system in um, Marie, haven't we? So yes, um, over to you. Lovely. Thank you, Louise. So good afternoon, everybody. Um, so just a couple of things just to mention regarding the new DBS online service that was launched on the 4th of July. So just a little over two weeks now. Uh, so from the feedback that we have received so far, it is going well and generally get the feel from quite a few managers that they are happy with a quick turnaround from completing the DBS to receiving the certificate. So obviously we have had many queries, but that is to be expected. So with a new system and to learn the process being slightly different to before. So however, there has been quite a few queries that we are unable, sorry, there has not been a question or query that we were unable to help with or answer. So long may that continue. Uh, I would just like to highlight just a couple of things that are important when initiating a DBS. Uh, and uh, firstly, it's uh, when you select the drop down menu where it says child and adult workforce, it will always be child and adult workforce. No other option to select, please. Uh, secondly, under additional information um, for enhanced DBSs, um, I think there's you select the child workforce, the barred list, the adult barred list. And then the third option is um where it says uh, no employee will be seeing children and adults at their home address. Now, that will always be no, because you will never see children and adults at the applicant's home address. So please, can you just select no for that one? It will always be a no. Um, uh, so and I can understand that can be easily misread um, or confused. So if you can just select no for that, that would be great. And lastly, just a reminder from the email that we sent out last Friday on the 14th of July, um, when making payments for DBS is that we ask you to include just the applicant's name, which will be really helpful because we mark them off here at the LMC. Um, and as you can imagine, we have rather a lot. So that would be really, really helpful. Um, and as always, just to say, the DBS team are here to support you with any DBS queries um, that you have. So please do not hesitate to pick up the phone or contact us on the DBS at wessexlmc.gov. Oh, sorry, the DBS at wessexlmcs.org.uk. So that's me done. And thank you for listening. Over back to you, Louise. Thanks, Marie. That's really helpful. And I think if it's OK with you, Marie, I wonder if you could write out those little top tips and perhaps we'll pop them in the newsletter, because some of that is quite useful to, to read and then refer to, isn't it? Sure. So if yeah. that would be all right with you, that would be fantastic. And well done oh, for new yeah. systems are always tricky. Um, I know you've worked really hard to it. And thank you to all the practice managers for their patience. Mm -hmm. um, we sort of bear through the change and we hope that's working well for you. So brilliant. Thank you, Marie. You're Lovely. welcome. Thanks, Louise. Lots on, so you probably want to go now. So thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks, Marie. Thanks. Bye bye. bye. Um, Michelle, I think we're coming on to you now for a few little, um, few little updates, NHS 111 and a few other things. 
Uh, that's correct, Louise. Uh, so um, before we go on to the updates we want to talk about, which is in relation to online services and the configuration that happens in the background to some of these, we thought we'd give a little bit of context. Uh, you'll, you'll understand when, uh, when we get to the update around online services. Um, we do get quite a lot of queries from practices on 111 and the contractual uh, duties and requirements that you have as part of your contract. So we thought we'd start with those. And then we'll go on to the online services updates and the configuration updates, which actually sound quite exciting. Um, so contractual requirements. So practices uh, are required to offer one slot stroke appointment for every whole 3,000 patients. And if these aren't used within two hours of the appointment time, practices at can actually take those back and use them for yourselves. What's interesting in the contract, it doesn't state what timings you need to offer these slots, just the number that you need to offer. So we had a conversation uh, with one of our medical directors who was reflecting on how practices set their systems up and whether practices may want to consider thinking about putting the slots throughout the day. I know that some practices may have them batched in the morning or maybe batched in the afternoon. It's really whatever works for the practice. However, it was really trying to manage and spread the workload throughout the day. And actually, if you don't use the appointments within, if the appointments aren't taken within the two hours, then the practices can take them back and use them. Also trying to help with the safe working capacity at the end of the day when uh, you may get a number of them coming through. So it was really just to identify that the one slot for every whole 3,000 patients, that if they're not used within two hours of the appointment time, and practice can take them back. And there's no timings within the contract of when these have got to be offered. It's down to the practice to decide when it's best for them. One other contract area we wanted to highlight was actually that if you are having operational issues and you are struggling with workload, capacity, workforce, there is the ability to request from the ICB that these slots are suspended. And it may be that you want to use the GPAS reporting to help evidence that. Um, and, uh, and we're just going to come on shortly in, uh, around the uh, developments that are happening, uh, which is why we're highlighting that particular contract clause. So moving on to the new developments. So currently, you may be familiar with that you've got an NHS website profile editor, and this is a, a piece of software that you will update your profile on the NHS website uh, database, uh, NHS website. Um, this is actually being replaced by NHS prof an NHS profile manager. And these are going to, this particular piece of uh, software will do two things. One is for you to update your NHS website with your, uh, your practice profile. And the other, which is the exciting piece of news, is that you will be able to update your status on the urgent and emergency care directory of services. So bearing in mind, if you are in um, uh, declaring red or black as a practice as part of GPAS, this will then potentially give you the option to go into the directory of services and then change that to your service status at some point in the next few months. We believe it's being developed, um, but it will be available for practices to update their service uh, status on the, on the directory of services. And the reason this is important is because this particular directory of services is the database for the NHS, and it's what 111 and 999 use as their decision support. So it's helpful if they've got the most up-to-date service, uh, service status for the practices. And if in exceptional circumstances you find yourself in red or black, you will then have the ability, once you've had a discussion with the ICB, to then change your status on that particular, on the, on the uh, directory of services.
Another option we wanted just to talk to you through. So currently you can't do any, you can't change your status on the directory of services, but that's coming. But there is uh, something called the NHS service finder that will show you what your status appears when 111 and 999, if the algorithm shows that the practice is the disposition. And you can go on there. You do need an NHS email to access this and you can actually identify what your current status is uh, with your service status. Um, we would recommend that you go on and do that. Um, and I'll explain shortly why. But there are uh, directory of service uh, regional teams. So if you see something on there that isn't correct, so your profile or your service status is not correct, um, then you can actually contact them and they'll do it for you. Hopefully in the future, you will be able to do that yourself. And the reason we're saying this is because actually a practice went and looked and identified that they were to receive all the emergency department dispositions for 999 chest pain. So clearly not correct at all. And it was obviously a human error, which was rectified, but would really strongly encourage practice to go and make sure their service status and their information is correct. So quite a lot of information there. So just to really summarise. So we would encourage you to check your service status in the NHS Service Finder. And all these links, we are going to, I suspect, um, once I've finished, I'll pop them in the chat or Dawn may be doing that. I can see Dawn. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Don't worry, Dawn. I'll do it. Um, I'll pop them in the chat and then we'll pop them with the website as well um, when we pop the webinar on. Contact your regional um, uh, directory of services team if something's not quite right. Um, I believe the NHS profile manager, they will be contacting practices when this is available, but you might just want to check if you've got a login um, for that, but they may contact you, they may have contacted you already. And also just to check your directly bookable NHS 111 slots work effectively, efficiently for you as a practice and to remember your uh, contractual requirements. So I think I'm sort of moving on to the next topic, Louis. So I'll, I'll flow into that because I've already mentioned GPAS in that update. Um, so uh, I think we've mentioned a few times now that uh, so general so GPAS is a general practice alert state and is a system that we run um, uh, and was developed by Devon LMC to uh, provide a, a view and a picture of what it feels like in general practice. Uh, so we've been running that for over a year and there is now a national dashboard being produced, which is really exciting. Uh, and we've never had this level of data before on general practice. And we would really encourage practices to uh, to share uh, their report and their survey each week so it can feed into that, which adds power to the uh, messages that we're giving around how, how bad it is in general practice currently and how stressful. Everything uh, anyone asks general practice for always says it'll only take a couple of minutes uh, and we do recognise that. However, this will only take a couple of minutes and it really does inform the conversations that we have with the media, with the organisations that we work with, such as ICBs, Healthwatch, and it really paints a picture of how it feels in general practice. And it then also feeds into the national dashboard, which will then have much more uh, wider spread as the BMA are publishing this and are, are working uh, with the results of it. It. And then finally, just a reminder that practice managers don't have to complete this. This could be delegated to a more appropriate person in the team. And if that's a case, please do contact us and we can make sure that they receive the regular reminders and the information relating to GPAS. And that's all I wanted to update on. Lovely. Thank you, Michelle. Um, and just a comment in the chat, um, heads up as well, the unused 111 appointments are included in the, G, in the practice's GPAD collections. So that's just um, a That's comment. useful to know. Um, which is which is quite helpful to know. And if some of that that has been really useful, Michelle, and very very helpful. 
if you're a new practice manager or new to taking on any of these areas and you just think, oh my goodness, I don't actually understand very much of this, do ask us and we can always try and help you ourselves or we can ask one of our practice managers to support us to sit alongside you. We do know what it's like to be new and we do know that sometimes all this acronyms and, and, and all the just the, the detail um, can be a bit, a bit overwhelming. So obviously Dawn and Michelle are all over the detail anyway, but there, we are here to help you. So um, please don't hesitate to get in touch if, if that would be useful for you. Um, something completely different is coming, but that's absolutely fine. Any update on the online access project for October? The original IG query is still going to appear to have been addressed. Also, is the clarification on the clinical systems going live without our consent? Now, the bit I know is the 31st of October, I don't think it has changed. I think that's silly, it's going to be going ahead. Um, Michelle Dawn, do you have any comments on that? Um, oh. Who's going to go first? Dawn, you go first. No, I was going to say um, yes and no is the honest answer. Um, Michelle and I have sort of uh, spoken perhaps briefly this morning, um, and there's definitely a little bit of confusion about uh, the go-live date and as much as practices can opt in, the EMIS practices can opt in before that date, but there is a little bit of query over the 104 code as well now about if you have bulk coded, um, what happens once you have gone live um, and really rather than say perhaps any more at the moment and confuse anybody any further it is something that we're going to talk about uh, next week um, Michelle and I mentioned this morning so perhaps we could update practices a little bit more on that at, at our next webinar or maybe in the newsletter but it is something we're having a little bit of a closer look at because as with all these things it's um, the devil's in the detail and suddenly a little bit extra comes comes forth and can confuse everything. Thank you. That's really helpful, Dawn. And also just to let you all know, we've asked Adam Tuckett, who we often ask as our information um, governance um, advisor, he'll come and talk to us. He's from the CSU and he's going to pop onto this webinar, which will be on Friday the 13th of October. So we just thought that's a couple of weeks before the go live date, just to hopefully mop up any queries anybody might have and anything that's still outstanding. Um, but as Dawn said, we don't want to leave it if there's queries now and we don't want to leave it till then. Um, so we'll certainly either bring it back to this webinar or we'll certainly put a newsletter or give you extra information if we if and when we have it. But that's a really good question. Thank you. That's really helpful. Okay, I think Dawn, we're coming to you now on a, just a small item about um, emails. And information. Yes, thanks, Louise. Um, <clears throat> so we uh, realised or identified recently that um, all the email communications we were sending out through our 14 fish database um, seemed to be getting to the recipients, but not in their inbox, but in their junk mail. Um, so if you've been expecting any kind of communications from us that you might normally receive, our newsletters and so on and so forth, or anything to do with events maybe, please do check your junk folders. Um, <clears throat> we're obviously speaking to 14fish about this issue um, and they are looking at it. Um, but unfortunately, at the moment, it, for whatever reason, we don't know. But yes, please do check your junk folders just to check that none of our emails are going there incorrectly <laughs> hopefully um and make sure that you can you know access what you need to thank you that's helpful um just a comment there's an issue with nhs mail that people are looking at yes and some of that's helpful i think it is, it is something to do with that but it's something to do with something else as well but thank you i think there's i think we might have a couple of issues i think nhs net email i think we all have, might have a software issue and also that's particularly relevant if you're waiting for a zoom link or um, a course that you're coming up um then just please yeah just keep particularly 
keep an eye on that. Fortunately, it's the summer holidays coming out, so we don't have much going on for the next couple of weeks. But um, just yet, yeah, just keep an eye on the newsletter and any information, as Michelle was saying, about um, about one one and the information governance. So I think we're coming to a DDRB, Michelle. We've got a little bit of information about that, haven't we, next? We have. So the DDRB recommendations were published last Friday. However, when they were published, it gave uh, it seemed to ask more questions than answers, unfortunately. I think the only thing that was clear was there was a 6% uplift. Um, usually the DDRB recommendations cover salaried GPs and GP retainers and some other areas of work around appraisal. However, um, today there's been some information released, which we're just working through, but felt we wanted to share something on the webinar in relation to it. So the BMA have uh, released some information and also the gov.uk and also gov.uk has released information on this. So um, just to be clear, uh, and I'm going to read it because I know it's it's actually quite critical that we get this right. I think it does raise more questions, um, which we'll come on to at the end. Um, but I just wanted, we just wanted to give a bit of an update on, on the information that's come out today. So it states, the GP contract will be uplifted to provide funding for salaried general practice staff. So this appears that this is not just GP salaried, uh, salaried GPs and GP retainers. It seems to apply to all salaried general practice staff. Uh, this funding will be backdated to April 2023, and it is our expectation this funding is passed on promptly to all salaried general practice staff. As self-employed contractors to the NHS, it is for GP practices to determine the uplifts in pay for their employees. So what we the only think, so that's the statement. There are other things included within that, which we are going to put out, I'm sure will be in our newsletter next week. I think what I would suggest is as a practice, you need to look at your uh, contracts of employment uh, to see what it identifies in there uh, around uh, uh, pay rises and pay reviews. The other interesting information that has been added as an addition out from the BMA is that it's it's for salaried GPs and all practice non-AWRS staff. And I think the reason they've stated that is because potentially AWRS staff will be on agenda for change and there's a separate agreement for that particular group of staff. So two considerations. One is around what's in your contracts and the other is around if you've got um, members of staff uh, um, uh, employed under agenda for change rates and you need to consider that too because actually they have a separate pay up flip, which I think was 5% with additional bonuses uh, attached to that. Uh, And then I think finally, all I would like, or I would suggest is adding, you may want to await the information around how this is funding is going to be received by practices because it, it does say about it being the GP contract that it will come to. However, the BMA are still the BMA are discussing it with uh, the Department of Health and also NHSE. And also what isn't clear, so practices did receive a 2.1% increase in their uh, contract value uh, to pay for, uh, to fund staff uh, pay. However, it talks about 6%. So whether the further update, the further increase will be 3.9% or whether it would be another 6 my feeling is it possibly will be 39 but we're not clear on that yet. So it may be worth being aware that it's 6% and just maybe awaiting a bit more detail around how the money is going to flow to the practice and what that will look like before taking any any decisions. And we will keep practices updated on that. Sorry, that was quite rambly, but... No, it's helpful because you've set the context and you've also said what we don't know as well as what we do know. And that's helpful. That's quite reassuring to give them a little bit sort of more... um, just more aware of the context and, and what's actually going on. It's, um, yeah, a little bit of information. Sometimes we need a little bit more, don't we? 
Okay, thank you. That was really helpful, Michelle. Um, so I think we're going to come to some slides now. I think Dawn, and we're going to. I'm going to start sharing my screen, and um, you can introduce it. Thank you. Um, so. I'm going to talk to you today um, about uh, claim timeframes for specific purposes um, for uh, held within the statement of financial entitlements. Um, this came about, uh, we, we've had a few odd queries uh, recently about um, what people can claim for and, and when they have to claim it by. Um, and we are aware there are quite a few new practice managers um, out there as well. So we thought it'd be useful just to put um, a few slides together that just um, goes over some of these for you. So here we are. One of the first things to mention is this is all contained, like I said, within the statement of financial entitlements, and it sits within part four. Um, uh, and we can put all these links out there so that you can have a look at them later on if you want to in more detail, because in actual fact, one of the things that, first of all, I want to say is the amounts payable are capped. So although it asks you to submit your claims for the actual costs incurred, that doesn't mean you will actually be paid the full cost of everything you incur. Those amounts payable are capped dependent upon what you are actually claiming for. So use of a locum or GP performer to cover time off for any uh, GP, that's partner, salary or retainer, in the following circumstances have claim timeframes. The first one, uh, and perhaps the one you might need or use mostly, uh, maternity, paternity, adoption or shared parental leave. So like I mentioned, it does say you submit your claims for costs actually incurred. Remember, there is the cap. Um, at a frequency to be agreed with NHS England, which would likely obviously be your ICB um, and the contractor. But if there's nothing specific about that frequency, um, then actually it's within 14 days of the end of the month during which the costs were incurred. And it's that 14 days that I think you need to be very mindful of when it comes to the maternity plan paternity adoption and shared parental leave um, unless of course you're absolutely sure that you've already agreed something else with your ICB. Um, if we can move to the next slide please Louise. And the next one is GP sickness leave. Um, very similar, probably one of the more, more pop, I say popular, the one that you were going to use most frequently. Again, if you have um, a GP performer who is off on sick leave and you need to use a locum, amounts capped, like I said before. This is slightly different, though. It says you must submit your claims during a month at the end of, the, for during that month, at the end of that month. So pretty quickly is the answer there. So for argument's sake, if you've got a locum for all of July, you need to have those invoices ready right at the end of that month to send in um, straight away. Thanks, Dawn. There's a couple of queries from them. Michelle, you put your hand up and I see a question in. So, Michelle. So, it was just to answer that question that's come in. So, I think that, um, sorry, Dawn. No. The, so, there's a question about GP retainers and the, the ICB are not um, funding this for sickness. So, we are aware that this is an issue. However, we are clear that GP retainers are entitled to sickness reimbursement as well as the GP, as well as the practice receiving their retainer payments. So we are aware this is an issue. If you've got this particular issue, please do come to us and we'll we'll raise it with the ICB and, and have a conversation with them. 
Sorry, Dawn. Which do we know which ICP at the moment we're aware of as there's an issue, Michelle? Uh, yes, I'm just very mindful that this is okay. recorded, so uh, we so can we go mention- back to the individual uh, who's raised it. But anybody who's got a query, please do come to us. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you, thank you, Dawn, and thank you for the question. That was really useful. That's exactly what we're here for, um, and that's exactly actually what some of our role is to receive that information and to just take it where it can actually make a difference. So, um, yeah, thank you. Shall I, shall I move on the slide there, Dawn? Yes, please, Louise, yes. <clears throat> so the next um, uh, um, purpose that you may be claiming um, locum costs for is to cover a suspended doctor. This is very similar to the maternity one we spoke about before, um, unless you've agreed something specific with NHS England or the ICB, um, then within 14 days of the end of the month during which the costs were incurred. I I would just add here, there are a number of conditions that need to be satisfied for this particular claim and full details are, as I said before, in the SFE part four. So if you are in this circumstance, then um, strongly recommend having a look at that but I also would say come to us if you're in this circumstance and we will help and guide you through that one as well. Can we have the next slide please Louise? Thank you. So uh, the other one is for a GP performer on prolonged study leave but perhaps not one that you may not be aware of and, and perhaps not so frequently uh, needed or used but again this is is similar to the one um, that we spoke about with sickness. Um, you have to claim this one at the end of the month during the, during the same month that the actual uh, costs were incurred. Um, if we can then move on to the next one, thank you. So there are other claims, of course, with uh, that you have to make, um, also specified within the SFE. These are not locum related. I'm just going to um, mention them so that you're aware of them, but you know they do need looking at in more detail. So here we've got the dispensing FP34 and PPA claims that you put in for um, any prescriptions you have of drugs that you've um, administered. Uh, And this must be no later than the fifth of the month following the month of which the prescription relates. That's quite strict as well. Um, You won't want to get or or fall foul of that one. Um, And following on from that, we've also got DSQS, the Dispensary Services Quality Scheme. participation in that is is actually voluntary um, and the rules for that need to be looked at in detail. Um, Too long for here, (laughs) if we can move on please Louise. So getting there, so other uh, claims not uh, related to locums, we've got the vaccinims not paid under the global sum. Um, Generally speaking, vaccinims are uh, collected via GPEZ CQRS as you know. There are some manual uh, submissions that are possible, um, but these can only be done once the auto extraction has taken place. So we recommend looking at these collections in detail on NHS Digital, and we will put all these links out there um, if you need them. The uh, Statement of Financial Entitlements does still uh, refer to the item of service claim fee um, being made um, before the end of period Uh, sorry, before the end of the period of one month beginning on the date of the administration of the dose of the vaccine to which the payment relates. Um, And then you kind of get six months uh, to actually claim for everything if you've not actually done it then uh, at the end of 
month one. Um, I think what's worth mentioning here is there's two different uh, extractions, if you like. You've got the GPS and CQRS, you've then got your manual, and you've got what the SFE says about um, making the claims um, between the one and six month period. Um, before we had the manual, uh, sorry, before we had the auto extractions, everything was done manually, as we know, and all the IMS were done as the SFE states. But be, be mindful, we have also got the auto extraction now. So there's a couple of uh, ways we need to look at that. But we've got the links for all of that. So um, it's worth bearing in mind both um, pathways, if you like, that you may or may not need to use. If we can move on, please, Louise. So here we are. There are um, some other reimbursements that you're entitled to. There's rent, water and sewage, business rates, CQC. Uh, if you need any help with these at any time, I'd, I'd say get in touch with us if you would. Um, if there's anything you're not sure about, are you getting them or how do you get them? Um, but they're dealt with in slightly different ways. Um, so, yes, please do get in touch if you need to. And if we can go to the next one, thank you. So, and the other one, of course, I'm sure you're all very aware of, quaffs and desis, um, more complex, more so than we can put here, but they are and have their own respective chapters in the SFE. Quaff can be seen in part two and all the direct enhanced service uh, financials can be seen in part three. And in addition to that, of course, as well, there's local enhanced services and the public health services, perhaps such as uh, LARC, stop smoking, health checks. Uh, these all need to be checked and looked at on an individual basis for whatever the climb, uh, time uh, frame claim periods actually are. And the last one, please, Louise. There is just a little clause I want to mention within the SFE um, on time limitation for claiming payments. And it actually says there's a period of six years, beginning with the date of which uh, any claim would have fallen due. So you might think, well, if I've missed anything, I could always go back over it and, and have a look. However, the next clause 11 says for paragraph 10, which I just read out, that does not apply to any claim for which payments have fallen due under a provision in the SFE for which an alternative time limit is already specified. So in other words, those ones we talked about at the beginning, uh, the locum payments particularly, they already have a time limit specified. So this six-year period would not apply to that. In other words, if you don't get them in in time, that opportunity disappears, I'm afraid. So I think it's quite important to be aware of that. If you've got a specified time limit, then that limitation period of six years that you might have does not apply, I'm afraid. And I think that's all for now, Louise. That has just been so helpful, um, Dawn. And what we will do actually for everybody is we're just going to chop that as a just section in itself. So you can rewatch it or refer to it or show somebody else doing your claims for you if it's useful. It's a couple of things I think I'd like to catch up with in the chat. Here it is. Okay. So just a, a comment. Salaries costs have increased quite a lot with the rises and they ask for a lot more now. The cat really does cover it anymore. Are there any plans to increase it? Now the GPs expect another 6% or 3.9% rise. Do we know if there are any, other, any plans to increase it? I would suggest it's probably going to be part of the contract negotiation. So this is we're in the last year of a final of the five year deal. 
Um, and I, I suspect this will be part of the negotiations that go forward. I think I just want to be just to reiterate the 6% and the 3.9% rise. So the 6% is what has been agreed for salary general practice staff. So it is 6%. What I'm questioning, what I'm my question is practice will have already received 2.1% funding. Are that so the, the next pay, payment that's due to practices to fund the, the full 6%? Is it going to be less than that? Is it going to be 3.9 recognising you've already had 2.1 or is it going to be 6% on top of that? So just wanted to be clear, it's 6% that's been recognised. So, um, But I would suggest in answer to the question, it's, a it's going to be part of the national negotiations, but recognise that they don't, this doesn't, like you say, doesn't cover the cost anymore. Thank you, Michelle. And just in a comment um, if we have a GP girl sick, it's hard to get a consistent six sessions per week locally. We may be able, however, to balance out over the month. So have had eight sessions one week and four sessions the next week. The ICB, however, is only reimbursing on a week by week basis. And this feels a bit harsh. I think all we can do is agree. Um, I'm not sure there's anything we can do. I don't know whether that's something you can take um, and, and make a comment to any of the ICBs, Michelle. I think it's a good question because actually the, yeah. the SFE does state week it's per week. However, like you say, with the, where general practice is at the moment, it does feel quite a harsh position. But if the SFE states it, I think we're going to take that one away and have a look at that and see if that's what actually is being implemented. They can do it, but it does feel a, a, a harsh. It seems that it, would be, it wouldn't be any more money in the long run. It does seem a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. And thank you, Dawn. That's really very, very helpful. Um, it's just something just popped in. Interesting comment, you know. Yeah, I think, yeah. Are all ICBs the same? And that's an interesting comment. And I think, I think our experience is they're not. I don't know what, I don't know what they are as far as reimbursements goes. I don't know if you have any comment on that, Michelle. I think generally they're not, but. Do you have any comments on that, Michelle? I think it's interesting because if it, if it's a nationally set arrangement, uh, in theory, they should be following what's in the SFE, but that, as we've just highlighted, it doesn't always, it's not always in the interest of practices to do that. So there could be variation where local agreement has been put in place. So I think it's a really fair comment. Some ICBs treat and work differently, potentially. So I think we need to take it away, do a bit of um, uh, uh, digging and yeah, and let's uh, let's pick it up and see what we can do with it. Fantastic. Thank you. And thank you once again, Dawn, really useful. Um, just a couple of bits from me at the end. Um, we're aware the Shingles programme is changing um, for various different reasons. And so we're running a webinar on the 31st of July from 1 till 2. So in this sort of format, so there'll be a presentation and there'll be some people who know a lot more about immunisation than me talking about that. And they will just go through what's changed. And this will be obviously very appropriate for your HCAs, for your nurses. So that's now live if you want to look to see that. We will record it for anybody who isn't aware, isn't able to be released at that time, but we would suggest that if that would be useful to you, that's 31st of July at one o'clock and the link in there just popped in the chat there. And finally, as many of you will know, we run a group discussion and forum for PCN managers, which we now open up for practice managers. We had a very good session on the 10th of July. And at the end of that, we sort of offered what else would be useful. And it feels like a face-to-face -face meeting would be useful for PCN managers and practice managers with a sort of a, probably a bit of a focus on PCN. Um, and there was a suggestion that it would be very helpful to have CQC in the room. 
So Lisa Harding, one of our directors of primary care approach CQC, yes, they're happy to come in the room with us. So that's on the 4th of October. It'll be in Salisbury. There isn't a link yet because we haven't quite got our act together. I haven't got my act together in getting it on the system yet. But it'll be the 4th of October. So please put the pop that in your diary. We'll talk about CQC, as I said, they'll be in the room to answer questions, but we'll also look at communication and management and leadership, which is something that a lot of managers have been asking us for. So there'll there'll definitely be two sessions on that day. What else we'll do, I don't know. And if you have any ideas, please ask, please please, um, share them with us. So we're happy to make it a very useful day and and do whatever would be helpful for you. So that's a face-to-face day in Salisbury. I popped out a little email this morning about that, but with Dawn's comment earlier, it may well have gone into your junk mail. So that might not, so you might need to sort of have a look in there um, if, if you're interested. I also shared some resources from NHS England that might be helpful for you. And there's all sorts of opportunities out there, but I know that it's um, as few as finding the information, finding the time is, is always a huge challenge. I think we've gone through quite a lot today. We seem to have battled through quite a bit. Um, it's been very, very helpful. We thank Marie who came on earlier. Thank you as ever to Michelle and Dawn. It's been a, a very, very interesting session. Thank you for all of you for coming. And just by to say, we'll be with you next time on Wednesday, the 2nd of August um, at one o'clock. So Wednesday, the 2nd of August at one o'clock when Will Howard, one of our medical directors and a GP in our area, is going to explore um, how to put safer working into action. Some of you may be aware of the sort of safe working guidance that's come out from the BMA, and we've discussed that a little bit at our um, innovations conference, but we want to follow on because that's a sort of a conversation that will carry on for, you know, really quite a little while now. So do come, listen, share your ideas. It's going to be a very practical session. And a lot of people say to us, am I allowed to do this? Can I do? What can I do? So we're going to hopefully um, cover anything that you ask in that. So that'll be on the 2nd of August. Um, so some just say, is there no LMC called on the 2nd of August? Yes, there is on the 2nd of August. So I'm not quite sure. I, I think this is a slightly different. Um, oh, okay. so, I, so I think this may be for Hampshire. And I think okay. that there's a session that potentially, it's usually Laura and I think Tim Cooper possibly, uh, I might be wrong. I'm not sure who's put the comment in. Um, let, I'm just frantically trying to get my diary up to see if it is still going ahead. I think there is one, and I think it looks like it's uh, one to one to one thirty. Uh, so potentially at the same time. So we may just want to have a look at that. If that's the one that could, I don't know whoever's put the comment up. If they could just clarify and confirm that that's the one that you're referencing in your comment. Yep. Yes, it is. This, that is the one. Sorry. Uh, so it is going ahead. So we probably just need to look at the timing. We'll have a look. We don't want to, to give you too many options at the same time. Well, we'll have a look at that, but we will be back soon. That's probably the best way to do it. And the next time we come, we'll hopefully talk about safe work and that'll be useful for you. So have a lovely weekend. I really hope you get a good break and we'll see you again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.